says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me to break down all the NRL and Parramatta news in this bye week with the Eels on the break are my good mate 60s and Quint. Fellas, it's a bit miserable, it's a bit cold, it's a bit wet, uh, but the Eels are flying high, five wins on the trot as they head into the week off. How are you both doing? Me, mate, I am freaking freezing. It's... (laughs) It is well and truly winter. I think we were all having a bit of a moan about it the other week, but I think today the the day itself felt like it's been as cold as what it has been at night. So this is the part of the of the winter season that I don't like the extreme cold. I love the footy, the fact that it's footy season, but man, give me some of the some of the warmth of I don't know. If you don't like summer, at least at least spring when it's warming up a bit and when it's finals football. So that's my time of the year, finals football. Now, especially now Parramatta makes the finals. I should add that in as a qualifier. <laughs> uh, what about you, Clint? How are you travelling, mate? Uh, pretty great after the weekend. I mean, what an amazing first half of rugby league we witnessed um, up there on the Sunshine Coast of Morden Bay. A wonderful first half performance from our side and, you know, a, a great way to uh, roll into into the bye. Um but yeah, absolutely feeling the cold at the moment, and um, you know, I, I don't know about seasons for me, gents. I, I'm, I'm, I, I don't think I really fit into any season. Summer's too hot for me, and my skin's too pasty to to tolerate too much sun. And um, you know, I, I'm I'm a big fella, and I feel the um, you know, it takes a lot to make me feel cold. But once I do, the the, the bones are really struggling. So um, I don't know where I fit in the um, in the equinox spectrum. But um, <laughs> anytime that uh, that that that. Um, Paris playing finals footy that sounds about right for me and before we get into it boys as always a quick shout out to the sponsors of the show Big Swing Golf North Mead and Star Partners Real Estate Auburn, Norellon and Parramatta bringing you each and every episode and now boys let's get right into it News Team Assemble Well, fellas, of course, the biggest news today, and it especially relates to the Parramatta Reels, is the news surrounding Dylan Brown. In court proceedings today, he's pleaded guilty to two counts of sexual touching without consent. For that, the uh, he's been sentenced to an 18-month community corrections order and we are yet to find out what's going to happen as far as his rugby league playing suspension is concerned because the stand-down orders have now concluded, but there is now a process to go through. So just to run through that process, the NRL will now decide on, on the breach that they will issue. So anyone that's expecting maybe some a quick resolution of this, as I said, there's a, that process to go through. So there'll be a breach notice. Those breach notices generally have something like a five-day period for the um, for the player, the club to respond to. 
and then at that point, I think there'll be a decision around um, how many games he's likely to stand down. A lot of the media are talking about somewhere around that two to three week mark. I don't know if I'd be too surprised about that. I, I, I think given there seems to be a, a consensus around that, I reckon I reckon that's what we're going to be looking at as well. Uh, what's your thoughts, John? Yeah, I mean, now that it's not done and dusted, but in terms of the, the legal aspect of it, it is in the books. Dylan's going to have to own this. He's going to have to wear it. Uh, you know, he's obviously made a serious mistake. Uh, and he's, you know, he's, I think, in terms of the reaction today uh, between the club official apology, which is obviously, you know, a, a carefully worded uh, official statement, and then the one he put out on Instagram, which was a bit more personal, um, I think that was a good first step in taking accountability for his actions. Uh, I, I do like that he specifically uh, referenced the victim in the fir- like the very first moments of his apology. It wasn't about him and you know and you know making himself just a better person, but he also owned up to that particular aspect of his mistake, the most important one. Uh, and yeah, now now I know there's a bit of a pile on going on on social media about how severe the response should be. Should he be sacked? Should he be out for the season? Uh, I, I trust that the NRL and the Eels will come to the right conclusion i know that the eels don't explicitly have the uh final say in the punishment but they're working in collaboration with the integrity unit uh and that breach notice and yeah so dylan will come out of this i hope a better person and he'll serve those community uh service sort of hours uh duly and and hopefully do it wholeheartedly and like i said own it because he made a a serious mistake and wherever the nrl come down hard where they come down soft um, Parramatta fans and and neutral fans might end up you know butting heads about it, but the reality is for us as Eels fans and Padillon, he made the mistake. He put himself in a bad situation and made a, a, a you know a serious indiscretion, and he has to wear what comes now. Yeah, Clint. Yeah, look, I just echo Forty's sentiments there, and you know um, now the the the, the officialdom of it um, from a legal perspective is over, but it's just about manage, um, closing out the officialdom around um, around his um, immediate playing career and, you know, whatever comes his way, he's got to accept. And, you know, um, what we really, really want to see is, um, you know, is, is, is to do and to learn and grow from this, become a better human first. So, you know, ultimately he can become a better player. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's a sad sequence of events that's happened for all involved, but um, thankfully we're, we're, we're closing on, on a final resolution with it now. Yeah. I don't think too much more needs to be said uh, about this because I think we've seen, we've said plenty as it is in that one of the first things that people have to do in the, in the act of contrition is to own what has happened as you know they're they're responsible. The person who's committed something a, a wrongdoing is responsible for their actions. Mm-hmm. I think there's, I think there's um, some a, a common thread or two that leads to this, um, and you know that will be up to Dylan to tackle uh, down as as he moves forward. Um, but in terms of you know Dylan and the club and the NRL when you're talking about someone of his age, you'd like to think that for everything that 
he has stood for in the past and the and the the various work that he's done that it's it's a case of there's plenty that he can do in a positive way in the future and as we said the the best thing that he was able to do right now in taking those steps towards the future is to own what he's done to um to put the feelings of the victim first and once that's done and 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 to admit his own wrongdoing is is you know he's then going to be able to move forward so i think we'll probably leave that there because there's plenty of other things that we can talk about in the you know moving through the other news that's about um we know what's going to happen in terms of how he's replaced because i think when the news first broke the big talking point from our perspective was who takes his spot in the team. And we've had um, Dejan Arce has, has proven to be a success in that 5-8 role and even in the halfback role in the week where Mitch Moses was out. And that leads us into the other news that broke after our news podcast last week, which was the four Eels contract extensions, including the Assey man himself, Dejan Asti. Um, Clint, I'll throw it over to you uh, just to talk us through those extensions. Yeah, um, AKA Colonel Mustard uh, was among, was one of the four uh, extensions announced last week by the club. Um, also within that um, was Josh Hodgson, Bailey Simonson, who along with Dejan Asti um, uh, took up their options for 2024. And we saw the extension on top of that of Matt Dury to the end of 2025, which I think was a renegotiated contract. I believe the initial deal he had was a one year with an option, and that's now been extended out for a further two years instead. So um, some really, really great uh, bit of business there. All of those players um, add their own unique value to the club. Uh, and they're all guys who have played um, some level of first grade this season and added value at, at, at different points as well. You know, I'm particularly pleased. And, you know, I think if we um, talk over probably the last six to eight weeks, in particular around Bailey Simonson, who really has found a home at centre. Um, you know, I, I know there's a lot of mixed feelings around um, Josh Hodgson at the um, uh, year to date, I should say. But, gents, personally, I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy to see him continue along. You know, I, I think he's... He's adding great value and you know, a player of his experience and, and knowledge is only going to continue to help the other guys within the system. Um, you know, we've seen the emergence of Deja and Arcee in recent weeks and he's he's looking very comfortable in the top grade so far. And uh, Matt Dury, obviously a local junior who's returned to the club and um, has, has not looked out of place in first grade and, and certainly has a high ceiling as well. There's a lot of growth potential in Matt Dury yet. So... Um, some really good news, gents, and um, you know, I, I don't know about about the two of you, but I'm 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 happy with all four. Yeah, and just with regard to Josh Hodgson, here just talking to different people around the club and the the high opinion that they have of his character as far as um, what he brings to the squad um, in match preparation and. Um, mentoring of players, that side of things. I wouldn't be surprised if what they start to talk to him about when his playing contract ends is other roles within the club. I think he's the sort of individual 
that they'd like to keep associated with the Parramatta Reels. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Forty, you got any other thoughts on the contract extensions? No, very, very happy across the board. Um, I suppose the big surprise for me was uh, Dejan opting into his option. Uh, it's always a hot halves market, and given that he'd shown some serious playmaking chops in his handful of games recently, I wouldn't have been surprised to see a, another club that's sort of struggling for halves pounce. But once again, it's a, a validation of indication of the systems that uh, Brad Arthur, Mark O'Neill, and the entire coaching and support staff have in place here, that the, the, these players are choosing to opt in and uh, back themselves to be an eel even if it's just for 12 months more. So very, very happy there. And yeah, RC is developing really nicely and has been a, a great safety blanket for the Eels in a time where after letting Jake Arthur go, we could have been in a lot of trouble. Well, one of the interesting things, and I, and I guess this is why we weren't exactly sure what was going to transpire when Dylan Brown was stood down and the choice was going to have to be made about who came into the uh, 5-8 position was... The, the club's official player uh, squad listing has Dejan listed as a centre. And watching him during the preseason, he literally trained in every position in the back line. Uh, he, was, he was out there on the wing. He was at centre. He was in the halves. He was at fullback. I mean, he literally played every position during the preseason. So I had no idea what they were <laughs> going to do with him. In fact, the closest thing that I could... Uh, suggest was that um, he he reminded me um, a little bit of um, Hayes Perham's role at the Eels in the previous seasons where Perham was basically a troubleshooter uh, not just for the couple of appearances in first grade but he was all over the place in the uh, New South Wales Cup team as well so um, yeah look guess that brings us now to the contracts that aren't done as yet. And we had an article today about Bryce Cartwright suggesting that there were no contract offers on the table from the Parramatta Reels and that rival clubs were circling with great interest around what's happening there. I am pretty sure you'll find that there are negotiations that have been going down between Bryce's management and the Parramatta Reels, whether it's got down to a final figure with a contract offer. I don't know whether it's the semantics around that that was the basis of the newspaper column today, but I'm pretty sure that the Eels are very keen for him to stay. And I know from talking to Bryce that Bryce doesn't want to play anywhere else. Forty, your thoughts? Well, if there weren't clubs sniffing around Bryce Cartwright this year, I'd be asking what the hell are the other 16-year-old clubs doing? Uh, Bryce is having a career season. We, we speak about him almost every game, boys. Uh, so fundamentally sound this year, playing great baseline football, but with that added flourish of Bryce Cartwright, supreme touch, especially as we saw him in the game against the Dolphins. So no surprise that he's attracting interest, but uh, I'd be it, it'd take a very good offer, I think, to pry him away from Parramatta. Uh, he has found his home here. Uh, he is embraced. I mean, you can see he's very uh, well liked by the playing group. Uh, he is very tight with um, all the core players there. They love him. He loves it here. And yeah, he, he's played by far and away his best football in the blue and gold. So I, I imagine that it's a matter of time before it gets done. And, you know, like I said, if he gets that golden offer from somewhere else, that's a credit to himself for the football he's playing. Yeah, Clint. 
I think it speaks volumes. You know, you're touching on a, a, there around um, Dejan Arsi taking up his player option there, 40. But it speaks volumes of the culture that that exists here at the club right now. And, you know, the fact that, um, you know, Bryce has brought out his best football and he's, um, you know, not 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 only in in great form, but seems to be really settled in his life. At least at least that's what's being subcommunicated through his form. Um, you know, prior to um prior to joining us, I think Dejan Arce had played something like fifteen NRL games, um, may, maybe somewhere between fifteen and twenty. In his three NRL games for the Eels, he's won more games with us than he has across his whole career. We have got him taking up that player option. We have got Bryce who has vocally said he doesn't want to be anywhere else and you know in um in pre-game presses or should i i, I say the weekly presser going into into the match round has expressed on multiple occasions his um desire to be at the club and that this is his home you know i i i think his form and you know the the um the re-signing news that we touched on earlier is really suggestive of a team environment um facilitated by the coaches facilitated by the administrators and the club officials that everyone wants to be a part of and and that can only be healthy for us and that can only be healthy for for the team's performance so you know i i also think it'll only be a matter of time before it's done but you know if it, it, it'd have to be a, a pretty damn good offer for him not to be continuing with us next year i would think yeah and i think to that end it's it's always one of those things that players have to make a decision about when, if they're weighing up uh, a contract extension offer at the Eels as opposed to a contract offer to move to another club, is where do they play their best football or where might they play their best football? So you'll obviously get players where the Eels cannot match the offer from what they can earn elsewhere and the players back themselves that they can continue to uh, produce high-level football, high-quality football, and take the offer to go. And they've got a short career. It's only natural that they're going to make the take any opportunity they can to maximise their earning potential. But then you've also got players who will look at, okay, for X amount extra at this other club, Am I going to be happy? Am I going to play my best football? Is the club going to produce the on-field results that I am getting now at my current club? I mean, this goes for any player that's switching clubs, not just at not just at Parramatta. So, I mean, it's why really a club who is the incumbent club should always be at the advantage when it comes to player negotiations. That they know that to an extent a player, if they're happy, if they're currently happy, it's going to take something to move them. And um, in in this instance, look, I'm I'm confident that uh, Cardi will stay, but Rugby League's also taught me not to... Yeah, the, um, and the Eels aren't... The unexpected. They're, they so. are infallible in that regard. As we saw last year, we lost Zai Papali and that one really hurt. Um, but I, I do trust that they're going to get it right far more than they get it wrong. Uh, and in this case, I, I do think that it would take something pretty special to pry Bryce away from the Eels. Um, he has been an outstanding fit since buying into what Brad Alpha has you know, sold to him. And he is now just a, you know, a, a, an outstanding regular fixture in our first grade team. And it's hard to imagine, really hard to imagine this team without him, which is kind of crazy if you go back, you know, 18, 24 months. Yeah, absolutely. Now, 
just moving on, we're only three weeks away from the NRLW season launching. And it's, that's really, well, I won't say that it's suddenly sprung upon us, but the fact that it's only three weeks away is, uh, I, I guess maybe it wasn't the for, at the forefront of a lot of people's minds, but we've been waiting for this to happen. We've been preparing for this to happen. We've got a new contributor to TCT, Kai, Kai Ferreira, who will be uh, doing our match previews for the NRLW season when it launches. He's already put out the uh, post out there on the Eels roster. So if you haven't had a chance to read that up to this point, make sure you go back, have a look at our uh, content in the uh, archives and go back to last month and have a bit of a look at, uh, at, at Kai's uh, contribution there. Uh, but we did only just recently finalise the squad. The Eels announced that uh, Kim Hunt was the last uh, full squad signing. And then on top of that, we also had uh, some of the development squad players that were announced, uh, just to confirm that. So we had uh, Tanika Todd Hunter. We had Chloe Jackson, Lindsay Tui, and Talara Bamblett. Now, of course, Lindsay and Talara are well known to TCT uh, followers, uh, especially those that like to follow our junior reps, having uh, been part of the Eels Tasha Gale side uh, this year and uh, last year as well as uh, when it came to Talara. Um, John, I'll throw to you first. Uh, any comments about the finalisation of the roster there for the uh, Eels NRLW team? I mean, uh, sort of as of last year, um, there's a lot of unknown about this team. There's going to be a lot of discovery in the first few rounds. Uh, thankfully, we've got that 10-round competition now to get the norm a bit better. Uh, but on the surface, while the Eels haven't necessarily recruited the highest level of star power, and they've still got some good players, don't get me wrong, in Rachel Pearson and Elsie Albert joining the likes of Kennedy Charrington, uh, they didn't get you know, necessarily all the sort of high-profile stars like Cronulla and the Roosters in particular. Uh, I think they've done a pretty good job building this team. It looks like there's going to be a bit more speed and skill across the back line. They've got some really tough, hard-nosed forwards that sort of bring the flag through the middle and, and lead the way for the other forwards. So I am very keen to see how this uh, bunch of girls goes around because they're looking pretty sharp on paper. They're looking like there's been a nice, almost the same way that we saw... Uh, 18 months ago, 60s, in the Tasha Gale, that transition from playing a more basic sort of, not smash mouth, but more forward-dominated game style to that more modern, dynamic, uh, you know, ability to play edge-to-edge, second-phase sort of play stuff. So I'm really keen to see what Dean Witters and his team can do this year. Yeah, Clint? Yeah, just an extension of what uh, what Forty said there. You know, you think of Dean Witters as a player. He was someone that liked to have two hands on the ball and, you know, he was always a, a, a running and passing threat, and he was he was certainly a rugby league player, as you know, and and I mean that in as, as, as the biggest compliment that's available because we have a lot of players that are pure athletes running around in the NRL these days, and 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 not as many uh, rugby league players. And you know, if if Dean is a player, uh, a rugby league player is a model to go off, and you know, having a, a, a more fixed squad over a couple of years now. With um, you know, play uh, uh, um, NRLW players having multi-year contracts, you would like to think that um, he'll have an opportunity to really put his fingerprints all over this um, side with his um, with his coaching ethos. And you'd imagine that that would be uh, a team that really plays rugby league and a team that's a, a sum of its parts and is you know 
um, everything is a cog that's working together and complementary of 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 each other. So, you know, I'm 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 really excited to see. Um, I'm sure the rest of us are how this team unfolds and um, and and their playing style. Um, you know, we've we've got some really good key cogs for the you know in, both in the forwards and and, and Pearson as the halfback. Um, and you know, we we looks like we've got some although unknown players to to many of us. But those that look like they've got really good rugby league pedigree. So I'm looking forward to seeing a rugby league team play rugby league, as funny as that sounds. Yeah, and I think the key thing here is, well, there's two. Because of the introduction of the four new uh, franchises and also the uh, new uh, uh, player agreement with the NRLW, you've got a longer preseason. So I think it was eight weeks from memory, this preseason. And of course, then that goes into a longer season where you've got nine regular rounds before the finals. So in that time, the teams are going to be able to have a better opportunity to find their identity, the type of football that they want to play. When you've got a competition that is only going for five regular rounds, you know, by the time you get to finals football, there's teams who are maybe just starting to find their form, and it's maybe too late. They just haven't. They just mm. haven't had the opportunity to build into the season. Now we were lucky last year. We won our only game in the last in the round. Final round. Yep, and then that led into the confidence of, and led to the surprise victory over the Roosters in the final. And because it was, uh, what was it? It was uh, one versus four in uh, that in the final series, wasn't it? Two versus three, yep. and then the and then the grand final. I mean, yep. winning one finals match, and they were into the grand. The team was into the grand final. Now it was well that star power that you spoke about before, John. That probably was what uh, there was a bit more star power in the. Newcastle team, and not to under, not to you know, play down the what the Eels had to offer last year, but you know they they were really just starting to find their feet at that point in the season. They'll get more of a chance to do that. All teams will get more of a chance to do it. It's going to be more of a premiership this year. All I'll say is I'm I'm looking forward to this year's NRLW premiership a lot more than uh, the the previous season, simply because I think it's going to be. Um, a, a really good contest. Um, now, just following on uh, for the last bit of Eels news, and being a bye week, that Eels news is actually the Jersey flag team list Tuesday. Because, John, when you were writing your team list Tuesday this week, that's all you were writing yeah, about big, with the bye for New South Wales exactly. Cup and NRL. <laughs> yeah, big bye so box. What's, yeah, what's your, yeah, what's the big takes this week in, for the flag team? Uh, I mean, we see more of that SG Ball takeover, really. One, six, seven, and nine, all part of that SG Ball premiership team this year. It's obviously a credit to that team and the, the talent pool there that they've come into this flag team and been able to secure those spots. And on top of that, you've got Richard Penasini, or the players there, sorry, Upper Tweedle, uh, Josh Wynn, Ethan Sanders, and Matthew Arthur. Uh, but then you've got Richard Penasini, Charlie Geimer. Uh, I know that Saxon Pryke isn't there this week, but you've also got Sam Torvati, Lance Fall, Lima. Um, I'm not sure what Araz Namba's age is, 60s, because I know he wasn't part of the SG Ball team, but he played SG Ball for the 
Well, there you go. He played actually more for the Dragons, Dragons. this year. So, this yeah. year. So, must be, I, I believe he's 19. Yeah. But I could be wrong. I could be wrong. And he's, he's actually a para-local, uh, uh, but was in the Dragon system. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't graded by the Parramatta Reels. I was playing Rouse Hill. I, I am near certain that he was playing in the same Rouse Hill team as Buds Arthur. So, um, and, you know, he may well have been that that player that was playing fullback when I watched them play in a finals match and uh, caught the eye. And he certainly, in just the brief showing uh, last week, uh, he, he did very well in, yeah, uh, I- coming on... I didn't get to see the full tape like you did, 60s, but I did see the highlights. Look like Matty Alf had a tremendous game, two tries, a really nice try assist for Charlie Geimer. Um, looks like it was, in, I don't know if uh, Nick Glenaz or someone else played some relief dummy half or if he was entrusted with the full 70 minutes there. Uh, but if No, it, no, it was uh, Paddy Spence. Paddy Spence, on. and now Paddy Spence is 18th man this week, so with Lenaz at lock forward, he could be the uh, relief option there at dummy half later in the game, but... Given that he's starting there, clearly entrusting young Buds with plenty of responsibilities here, and he's stepping up to the plate. And yeah, I mean, big break for win last week. Cronulla Sharks, always a quality outfit in the juniors, uh, let alone the Jersey flag, where they were sitting third coming into that game last week. And that 22 to 12, 22 to 12, 22 to 10, 22 to 12, I think it was. Victory. 22 yeah, yeah. Um, You know, in an away fixture, uh, going over to Shark Park or Points Bet, whatever they call it these days. Tremendous way to snap that four or five game losing streak and maybe, just maybe, set the uh, ship right heading towards the back end of the season. Well, in fact, Paddy Spence came on and was uh, playing lock with um, Woods playing at dummy half and then he was ducking into dummy half as well. Look, it was a really high quality game. I think from memory, Matty might have gone off for the final minutes of the game. But yeah, anyway, it was a real high-quality game of football. It was indicative of two teams that were finalists, except the fact that due to the results that the Eels have had this year, they're going to have to do a lot of work and maybe have some things go their way for them to play finals football. But it was... The quality was right up there in this match, and it it really didn't uh, change too much throughout the contest. And... um, quality attack and defence was the feature. Um, the you've, you've already mentioned, you've seen the uh, highlights with the tries that were scored, but I can tell you that the standard was pretty good all the way through. And I think he's, for as long as uh, Craig Brennan is able to select Ethan Sanders at halfback... <laughs> They are going to they are going to give each match a really good shake, and and that's not meant as being um, casting aspersions on other people that have played half back in there. It's just that Ethan, we expect to be someone who will play NRL, and there is competition for his uh, signature now by a number of clubs because you just don't find halfbacks around the place. Uh, what's going to eventuate there, we don't know. But, yes, he is a, a quality halfback. Whether the club decides that he needs to play New South Wales Cup this season and literally foregoes the chance of the... or, or 
not foregoes, but really decreases the Jersey Flegs chances of playing finals football by elevating him to New South Wales Cup. I guess that's a decision for the club to make. It almost comes down to what would be the best, the most beneficial for him as a player. Is it going to be more beneficial for him to run around in a team in New South Wales Cup that is struggling? Or is it going to be beneficial to play at a grade where the team is likely to play finals football, but maybe he's not going to learn as much as he would from playing against adults or open age players? I mean, what would you be doing, Clint? If you if this call was yours, what call would you make? It's an interesting conundrum, and um, and Forty and I were, were openly discussing it as we we're watching New South Wales Cup um, at our most recent home game against Manly, and you know, obviously they've um, they've had some um, very mixed form this year themselves. Most of it hasn't been great, you know. The, 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 the conundrum is: Do you want to bring him into an environment like that where? He's playing against um, he's playing open age um, against other men and 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 against fully grown bodies that he will have to come up against in the NRL if that that is to be his path. Or you know, um, do you go look? This isn't it. Just isn't the time right now. Look, I, I, personally, if he hadn't gotten injured, I think we would have seen the the, the lever pulled by the club um, already. But because of the injury and because of the certain points in the season. Um, and you know whether you really want to put, um, risk putting him up there. You know, I, I I honestly think he's a week to week proposition, and it'll largely just depend on um, who who's available across which grades. If we had a full complement of first grade players available at the moment, and some of the guys who have been doing a phenomenal job for us at NRL level were to drop back, I'd feel very comfortable for him going into that team. But um, as it stands at the moment. Um, and that we're having to call upon just the full range of our 30-man squad for NRL, I'm not comfortable with him going to um, Cup just at this stage. But we get a full complement of players back, um, you know, and, and, and we see some of those guys that probably fit somewhere between 18 and 30 on our roster playing um, Cup. I'd be, ready to, I'd be ready to pull the lever and give them a game or two in those, under those circumstances. At 40, I'm going to throw back to you because... Back, we saw Parramatta tip their hand in this direction a number of years back when Dylan Brown was running around in the um, NYC, or uh, I don't know if it had changed to Jersey Flag at that he was, time. He was holding it was 2017, yeah. Yeah, 2017. Yeah, um, yeah and uh, so he was elevated along with, I think we saw um, Stevie Dresler elevated the latter part of the year. We certainly saw... Hayes Dunstar, Ethan Parry, um, um, Joe Tapari. So there were a number of players that were elevated to New South Wales Cup for somewhere between the last four to six weeks of the season. The um, Holden Cup team were going to play finals football, but they ended up, I think, sliding a little bit and, and coming in in the bottom half of the eight rather than maybe finishing up in the top half of the eight. And then, of course, in that particular year, Dylan busted his finger in the final game of the New South Wales competition for the last round of that and was unable to play because they weren't caught, they weren't going to play finals football, the New South Wales Cup. They put them up there for their experience of playing against uh, open-age players, uh, given that all of those players were about to go into the 
NRL squad for pre-season training, they uh, decided they'd have a look at what they look like against open-age players and give them that experience. And, uh, yeah, unfortunately, Dylan, as I said, broke his finger, couldn't get back there for the first week of finals, and Parramatta were eliminated in that uh, opening week. I think uh, I spoke to Dylan at, at, at training that week, and he was he was even talking about getting the finger taped up He'd had, I think he'd had an operation and a pin or, or something like that. He would have he would have played with the finger uh, strapped up just to get out there on the field and help his mates. But he was told, look, there's a long-term plan for you, mate. You don't want to mess it up by getting out there for one game of football right now. So, um, yeah, the, the club's done that before. They've uh, they promoted players, but I guess we'll wait and see what happens. Um, John, what do you think they're likely to do? Yeah, look, there is a, a part of me that does sort of vibe with the idea of taking your lumps in that grade and, and coming out better for it. Uh, we've seen just this year uh, Tony Matelli, who did have a, a bit of a mid-season funk, um, come back out of it and start playing some really good football. Jonte Jr. Beffen Mesa is now starting in the front row and looking like he belongs in that grade, even though he is flag eligible. So for I suppose the argument there is there for forwards and especially middle forwards is a little bit more... Uh, binary, right? Like you sort of just run hard, tackle hard, and that sort of things take care of themselves that way, whether the team's doing well or not. Uh, but I think there definitely is a, a good argument for putting him up there. Uh, but at the same time, you do want to have a, a decent support network. So I, I think letting him find his feet back in flag, and I say find his feet, he sort of hit the ground running already after coming back from that broken hand. But let him, let him, you know, sort of be on top of the world. He's going to play flag a couple of weeks. He's got Origin on the 19s, prospectively where you'd think he's a good shot at playing the number seven role there. Uh, so let him get to that and then maybe evaluate afterwards uh, because hopefully the NRL team and then thus by proxy the cup team are healthy and you've got you know, Sean Lane and potentially Dylan Brown back in the mix pushing more guys down and then he'll come back into a – or he'll go into a New South Wales Cup environment where maybe they've won a couple more games and if not, at the very least, they're looking much healthier across the back line and the forward pack. I, I must tell you that the Eels looked really well-organised, really slick with a spine that knew each other in that, uh, in that Jersey Fleet team. It was... A, it was uh, I'm not saying that the, the spine were the ones responsible for the win, but I'm, I'm just saying they, as far as being a unit is concerned, I think it is advantageous to have spine players who know each other's game inside out. Mm-hmm. And that's really what it looked like on, on the weekend. Okay, so um, just a final reminder too there. They're playing the Jersey Flag team are playing at Ringrose Park at Wenty this week, a 4pm kickoff. If you can't be out there in person, we will cover that on TCT with a live blog from Ringrose Park. So you can still get Eels action here. And I don't know about you, Forty, but I'm hanging out to go and watch a bit of football this weekend. I'm you know, I, I get a little bit agitated around a buy. I know we like <laughs> we need the two points. And but I, I I do miss the footy and at least getting some jersey flag being able to cover it. Um and you know what, if they've got a chip roll out there at <laughs> Winty, which you know they do quite well, that's, that's even better. Uh, fellas, we now switch to the NRL. And I don't know, with the, the, the Titans, was it good luck or good management 
that this Holbrook decision decision came out when there was all the publicity uh, post Origin and then um, all the all the other kerfuffle that's gone on with the NRL this weekend. It's almost like they've flown beautifully under the radar. I mean, there's been yeah, there's been media coverage on sacking Holbrook and appointing Des Hasler for next season. But it's certainly in terms of the scrutiny or any potential criticism, they've they've come out smelling roses on this, haven't they, Clint? Yeah, it's look. I don't think the decision itself is surprising, but the timing and the manner in which the information was revealed certainly was because um, it kind of felt a little bit left field. And there's probably a myriad of factors that contributed to that. You've already touched on some of those there, sixties, but you know the other is probably the form of the look, the Broncos this year. Um, uh, sucking up a lot of the Southeast Queensland limelight, along with the Dolphins who have joined in. The Titans have sort of just been going about their business and, and they've been in okay form this year. I mean, they beat us um, away up there in um, in Magic Ground earlier this year as well. So, you know, um, yeah, look, you, know, if it's, um, you, could, you could definitely argue that there is... Um, it could be either one of good luck or good management in this situation. But the fact of the matter is, is they, they've been able to secure themselves a premiership winning coach and their roster is building relatively nicely. You know, they've got those, a lot of uh, a lot of their younger guys that are sort of in that, um, you know, 30 to 70 NRL game range are starting to starting to get a little bit more comfortable in first grade. Now they're competing a little bit with a little bit more regularity in that. They're, um, they're, they've obviously got a, a, a good support network of, of really good players up there and the likes of Brimson and, you know, Foran's brought a lot of um, experience to their side. Um, obviously, Big Tino is um, is probably their franchise player as their captain as well. Um, you know, it's, 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 it is looking, the reason it's probably come out looking rosy is because there's, there's, there's a lot to like about what some of the moves they're making. The fact that they went about their business quietly and diligently in that um in in, in getting the man they wanted you know um it, 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 that, that's a good sign of how that um organization is being run of course you know um very unfortunate for justin holbrook but um it kind of felt like you know with um with everything being settled with uh, anthony griffin and um you know it, uh, the the noise uh, after that point has long been around on justin as the Gold Coast coach and, and likewise Anna O'Brien as the, the Newcastle coach, it probably was only a matter of time before one of them, um, you know, uh, that attention shifted onto one of them. And it looks like the Gold Coast decided to pull the trigger um, pretty quickly. Well, I'm now going to throw over to John because I want some thoughts on a couple of things. First of all, was it the right call for the Titans to make it a mid-season call. Secondly, was the win over the Broncos that bounce back that clubs sacking their coach get and, and therefore is it sustainable, that form from the Broncos game? Will they continue winning or is that just a one-off? And finally, John, this is the third part, do you expect the Titans to improve markedly next year and play finals football, which is obviously what their um, decision makers have wanted in making this call. Right. So, well, the three parts, I got two and three, where it was a bounce back factor against the Broncos and then they're sort of forming to next year. What was the first part? Okay. The mid season, making a mid season. Oh, mid season. Okay. Coach. Look, is that, the, is that the right, is that the right move? Almost 
always, I feel like now, I'm not, I'm not going to say it's a hard and fast ironclad rule, but I do feel like ripping the Band-Aid off tends to be better in the long term uh, rather than allowing it to fester and letting the guy you know, sit there and sort of direct the team that he shouldn't be directing in the long term, getting him out there. And in a way, I applaud the Gold Coast because while it was, it was sort of speculated that Holbrook was on the hot seat, usually these sort of... Uh, Incidents lead up with you know weeks and months of media speculation about you know how how long is he going to get who's going to replace him. They did a very covert and clandestine job there and, and did it real clean. So well done there, I suppose. Uh, sort of not the, it wasn't a surprise he got sacked, but the manner in which it came out of nowhere was a surprise. Uh, so they did a good job there. Um, yeah, I think getting him out of there, appointing the interim coach who can operate uh, in, almost in a neutral sense with uh, the club, then going and doing what Des Hasler would like. Uh, in the short term for the long term, whether it's promoting certain players, moving to different schemes, trying to recruit or court certain players. Yeah, I, I like that. In terms of the immediate bounce back, uh, I mean, it's a little bit overrated, I feel like. If you look at the actual historical uh, significance of it, it's pretty much a coin toss, like whether a team's going to win after they sack a coach. Uh, in this case, uh, we saw it uh, take place. Uh, the Broncos played some ordinary football. The Titans played some gutsy football. They did a good job. Uh yeah, and then in terms of next year, well, it's always hard to get a beat on the, the, the Titans roster, boys. They've had a number of coaches, a number of highly touted new faces there. Garth Brennan, Justin Holbrook, both you know really hot commodities when they entered the coaching market in Australia. Both of them have struggled at the Gold Coast. Their roster's got plenty of talent individually, probably missing talent in key positions, most notably in the spine, and uh, probably... Maybe a hard head in the middle too. I do rate Tino Fa'asul, Mala Awi, and uh, Mo Fodawaka highly, uh, but they probably need a senior head in the middle. And they, I think they recruited what's his name from the the Broncos a few years back. Uh, oh, from the Broncos. From the um, Broncos as a state of origin prop, it was young. Um, gosh, I, I forget him. But uh, you uh, thinking of Jared Wallace? Jared Wallace, yeah, and he didn't pan out to be that guy. Good, good memory there, Quint. Uh, and they're missing that sort of probably uh, leadership role in the middle. So it makes them hard to evaluate. They've got speed and talent on the wings and in the back line, uh, but they've also got a guy in Jaden Campbell who I I know he loves being there and he's t- like, you know, he, he wants to be there long-term having re- like sort of re-upped there, but I don't know where he fits, especially if they're going to... Yeah, get that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a fair call, you know. he's I think he probably fits at fullback. Yeah, but you've but- got AJ Brimson... Uh, you know, who was an outstanding player in his own right. The only knock on him is injuries. Uh, you know, and in the spine, you've potentially got Ben Hunt, um, who's going to partner uh, uh, Tanner Boyd, presumably. Uh, so I don't know. I, they're, they're a roster that is so bizarre and so manic. They can be so good in one game, but, you know, they've got a real issue of uh, mental endurance, as we've seen with them getting run down in pretty much every second half except the game against us. Uh, they just completely... Yeah, where they played out of their skins in the second half. Yeah, exactly. So, like, you and talked about bounce the ball luck like, as well. Yeah, yeah bounce of the ball, but there was there was manic try saves left, right, and centre. It was it was one of those games where if they could come up with the big play in the big moment, they were able to do it. So, um, yeah, and uh, we do have a game coming up against them. Do we not? Do we, we have do. another game we again? Do. Yeah, we in do. A few weeks. Um, the week following the Warriors. That's it. That's it. Yep. So, um, yeah. Well, mate, I, I've, 
look, I, I guess I have to agree with you. It's going to be hard to predict how they go next year. I mean, they've made the decision to go with an old hardhead as a as a coach. Look, and plenty of people uh, are praising them for going for Des. And in a way, it's hard to disagree. Des is one of the better coaching candidates available. But he also hasn't had a lot of success. People talk about the success he's had in you know recent years. He hasn't had that much success. He took the dogs to two grand finals where they got pants twice going back, what, nearly 10 years now? Uh, 2014 yeah. was the, the last run in there. 12 and 14. Yeah, 12 yeah. and 14. And so he, he can obviously put together a competitive squad, uh, but recently more often than not, he's, he's more of a Brian Smith than he is you know a, a premiership winner. So it's going well, to be interesting to see what he can dogs, do. The dogs did, the dog did, dogs did pay for his roster assembly, and so and did so did Manly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So how how he was able to assemble a premiership challenging roster in the short term, but because of back ended contracts and that sort of thing, it ran into salary cap issues down the track. But let's now move on from the Titans to the Tigers who have uh, not been able to keep Luke Brooks. There's He's signed for Manly for a reported $650,000 a year, which is a significant drop on what he was on with the Tigers this year. Look, there's so many things to, to come out of this. I mean, we're going to, in a moment, we're going to talk about the Manly splurge. But out of this, I mean... <laughs> We could literally talk for a long time on the podcast about issues like how the media's reported this, how uh, Luke Brooks, we were talking, all of us were talking before about how Luke Brooks was uh, not that long ago the one that the media were blaming for the Tigers' losses. And now uh, in more recent weeks, he's become the golden child out there and their form's got nothing to do with him. Um, you're talking about the, the rumours that are floating around about the Tigers' with regard to issues around Benji Marshall and Scott Fulton mm-hmm. and not seeing eye to eye. It's all this front office versus football staff uh, debates or arguments or um, fallouts that have long plagued the Tigers. And so because it's long plagued them, it's again, I guess, resurfacing that there's an issue there once more. Uh, Clint, what, what's what's your take first of all on his departure, and then all the other stuff I just uh, signalled that we're gonna we want to talk about. Well, first off, I want to acknowledge that um, congratulations and well done to Luke Brooks. I think this is a fantastic move for his career, you know. And um, I think getting away from the West Tigers organisation and and um, removing himself from a position where. And the responsibility of organising and 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 having to be that playmaker for and particularly for a, a much maligned club like the West Tigers are now for some of the reasons you just touched on there, sixties. Um, I I think he's given himself the best opportunity he can to succeed by making this decision and going to partner Daly Cherry Evans in the halves. He gets he gets to um, play second fiddle to one of the best in the competition, the current Queensland captain. Um, you know, he, um, he, he gets to play um, that, that complementary role and allows him the opportunity to, to do what he does best, which is run, run with the ball um, with two hands and, and assess his options. You know, I, 
I, I think he's given, you know, I'm not saying that he's, that, that necessarily means he's going to su succeed and be a world beater over there, but he's given himself the best opportunity to, and, you know, I, I, that wouldn't have been an easy decision because this, you know, he's, he's been a, um, a, a lifelong player at that club in his career to date. So, you know, there'd be a lot of emotional ties and he'd have, he, he'd have a lot of roots grounded within that club. You know, this wouldn't have been an easy decision, you know, because I, I, I think the rugby league um, community has called for him to make a decision like this for some time. And, you know, the, the past, um, his past two previous contracts, you know, there were teasers of it happening. And even over the off season, there were suggestions that he might have gone up to Newcastle and said it was Jackson Hastings that made the move. Um, and it just looked as though, oh, you know, um, the marriage of convenience was going to continue. You know, well, Luke Brooks has decided, you know, this isn't working out for for, for us, and, and more importantly, it's not working out for him. And he's decided to make a move. And I think that's 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 really that's a very brave decision. And I wish him the best in that move. You know, not to, not no, I don't wish him too much luck though, because we don't want Manly to do too well. <laughs> but you know, it's um, it's it's it, it's a brave decision he's made. And 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 you know, um, I hope this gives him the opportunity as well to to establish a little bit of um, breathing room between him and the media and 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 a lot of the unfair scrutiny he's been under. Now, likewise, we, um, we we move across to the the challenges within the West Tigers organization. You know, it's never good when um, you know um, you're, you're regardless of of truth. And 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 let's just note as well that um, you know there's a there's a lot of airtime that's given to rugby league and a lot of um, a lot of journalists out there that need content to fill their spaces. So you know you always take everything that you hear when there's rumblings of things with. Um, with a grain of salt and a healthy dose of skepticism and just you just acknowledge until any until any other supporting facts um reveal themselves because up until that point it, it's it's speculation but you know that the, the, there's been a recurring smell around the tigers for quite some time now and you know it, it it it's not good when the club's hierarchy hires um an external was it head of football that um that Fulton is, or is it head head of recruitment that Fulton yeah, is head, head, head taken over there? Yeah. Um, they do that without the consultation of the current football staff. When when they um, previously made the decision that this is our five year succession plan for all the coaching staff, you know those decisions should be made hand in hand, and you know everyone should be um, not only across the process, but you know, um, I'm not uh, a key part of leadership as opposed to advocacy is that, you know, that these people can work alongside each other with reports suggesting that they can't. And on top of the, you know, the other news that just, or the, the other um, pieces of information that just seem to dribble out of there every couple of weeks, um, you know, it doesn't paint a very enticing picture for, for other players. And now they've got to replace Luke Brooks um, in that type of environment and and you know if you're a halfback, is that you might be desperate to play um, first grade, but do you really want to take on the opportunity of playing for the West Tigers when you see the way that Luke Brooks has been treated the better part of the last four or five years? And then on top of that, you know what, um, your um, whether it's your newsfeed or the newspapers, um, every couple of weeks is just saying, "Oh, this is going on here, and these people aren't seeing on it." It doesn't paint a very enticing picture for. Um, the uh, NRL have um, um, someone with NRL have aspirations. You go, you know what? I might stay at the stronger club and still bide my time, as opposed to as opposed to take a punt and, and back myself to first grade because this seems like a better opportunity for me anyway. So yeah, 
Uh, well, and John, that narrative, how quickly it switched with the media. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've already seen Luke Brooks build as a potential buy of the year for 2024. Um, and he, he has been, uh, you know, when convenient, a whipping boy for the media. Uh, they've milked him for all it's worth. They've, you know, he, he is like this sort of like real sort of a study case for, you know, the Australian media and their love of tall poppy syndrome or in building up and mm. creating a tall poppy syndrome because every year we hear about Luke Brooks being unleashed and how this is the year Luke Brooks is going to realise his potential and then they start, you know, essentially memeing on him during the season. Uh, so, you know, you know, well done to him for ending that toxic relationship between not just him and the West Tigers but him and the media to some extent because they were able to leverage that relationship with the Tigers each and every year to turn it into almost like a joke. Uh, and like Clint said so well, he's picked a, a, a place where, you know, Manly might not be title contenders, but in terms of what's best for Luke Brooks, uh, the, the chance to play alongside Daly Cherry Evans and move into a, a role where he isn't the dominant playmaker, the organiser, the shot caller, will suit him very well. So he's, been, uh, he's done a good job there. Unfortunately, the big loser in all of this is probably uh, young Jake Arthur, uh, who went to Manly, mm. you know, with the hopes of maybe forcing his way in. But he'll still serve a great apprenticeship behind DCE there. So it's not like the you know, all is lost for him. Uh, but, yeah, well done for, for Brooks there. It's going to be interesting next year to see uh, how that parting plays out for both sides. Because yeah. that's my little dog there, pardon about that one. He uh, has heard someone on the road. Uh, but, yeah, it'd be really interesting to see how that relationship plays out or, or the two new relationships play out. Are the Tigers better having let go of Brooks? Probably not. Uh, but in the, same, in the same breath, I don't think they're that much worse off letting go of him. It's a matter of if they can find an actual half to replace him. For Brooks, uh, how much was he held back by the West Tigers? How much you know playing outside of DCE is going to help him? Got to wait and see. But I think that it's probably pointing towards him being a better player for making the move. If I look at it sort of neutrally right now, um, but yeah, and in terms of the off-field stuff for the West Tigers, uh, I know that their fans are sick of seeing their club's name dragged through the mud or, you know, kill there by the press, but they just bring it upon themselves. You know, uh, appointing, it, appointing a general manager of football is a, an equal standing of that with the coach. Mark O'Neill and Brad Arthur, they work together. The recruitment manager needs to be vetted by the general manager of football and the coach. He is below them. He works in conjunction with them, but in the vision that those two carry out. So when you go behind the back of Tim Sheens, your general manager of football, whatever his equivalent title is, and uh, who is also your head coach, and, and Benji, who is the head coach in waiting, and yes, he is serving his apprenticeship now, but it is important to gauge his voice and vision in these things, you're just asking to create division. And yeah, so... Maybe Scott Fulton's going to be great for the Tigers, but the process of getting him there, can I can certainly see why it's left the uh, football operation side of things a bit sour. And yeah, um, the fact that uh, they've had to come out and try and stamp out the fires today in the press sort of speaks to the fact that there is actual fires there uh, in general. So yeah, not, not, not a great look for the West Tigers and they just keep doing it to themselves. I think uh, just to weigh in before we talk about the Manly scenario, because we touched on the recruitment that's going on there, is I, if I'm a West Tigers supporter, I'm going to have to be patient because them turning things around is still, I think, years away. Where I think they're going to have to go from here is they'll be doing their best to hang on to some of the better players that they have on their roster. And I'm talking about uh, recruits like 
uh, Osea Papali'i and Api Korosau. And, uh, I mean, who knows? Like, Api's, Api might be far closer to the end of his career than he is to the start of it, and who knows how long he's going to keep playing for. But what we do know about the West Tigers is that certainly through the West Magpies side of things, they've got some talented youngsters coming through. And we've seen them in action in the junior reps. And they're probably going to be better off to look to um, develop those youngsters, hang on to those youngsters, develop them as well as they can, and then get out in the market and sell the future. Because as things stand right now, there is not too much apart from maybe a checkbook that would sell the West Tigers to any prospective player. Uh, certainly not to a quality recruit because you're talking about a, a club where they're in the they're constantly in the media for infighting and bickering. They're not producing on the field. They've got a coach in transition. They play out of three different grounds and their HQ is nowhere near their geographical centre of the club. It's just, it's a strange setup that exists at the West Tigers. And I think, yeah, it's going to take some years before they start to see a turnaround. I think they can turn it around, but the more they keep stuffing up, I, I think they have to make changes at uh, their HQ before they start. And there's there's always that you know, famous Jack Gibson quote that comes in here, right? That winning starts in the front office. And until that, I mean, we saw it at Parramatta. We always talk about this in the podcast. We, as fans of the Blue and Gold, know better than almost anyone else in this competition how bad it can get off the field when you've got a dysfunctional front office. And it took yep. literally the state government's older body stepping in to clean us out and constitutional reform that we helped facilitate as well. Uh, you know, with the the extraordinary general meeting that we had to put uh, put together. You know, it, things are bad in the front office. Things are going to be bad on the field. You know, so until the West Tigers can clean that up, they're going to be also rants. And it sucks for them. And yes, it, you know, it's fun for us to make the odd joke about it, but I do feel bad for them because we've been there and it is shit. So uh, until they get that boardroom, that front office, you know, running in lockstep with the football operations in the right manner, they're going to struggle. Yeah, absolutely. Now we've just touched on with Luke Brooks going to Manly, but they've been absolutely splurging on recruits and also extensions. So not only have you got Luke Brooks going there, we have Jackson Polo, who's going there. He's currently with the Roosters. We have the extension of Schuster on a reported 800,000 plus to be a back rower at the club. Um, you mentioned... Um, uh, Daly Cherry Evans and his contract, I believe, drops a little bit on these next two years, but he's still just under a million dollars. You've got the money that's spent on the Turbo Brothers. It's um, you know, in a in a small number of players, they've got a whopping part of their salary cap. So what happens? I mean, we're What's, they're going to be shedding players. Nothing surer. Mm. They've they've had an issue of 
not having depth there in the past, poor old Tommy Turbo, he's averaging 11 games a year. Now, is this a good move? All these big signings, was it an essential move? Was it the only move that they could make? I mean, was there was there going to be the competition from other clubs for Schuster? Did they have to pay out 800000 Uh Forty, I'll throw to you first. What, what's your thoughts there on the manly uh, recruitment splurge? Well, it feels like the legacy of Des Hasler, doesn't it, in that sort of yeah. roster recruitment uh, management where you go so top-heavy and you private, you know, pray to every football god you can that they stay healthy and everyone's fit and firing. Because the moment that one of those cogs falls apart, and unfortunately in, in Tommy Tobojevic, who was supremely gifted but is paper, made of paper mache at this point, you know, you, you've got a very fragile glass cannon sort of structure right there. In terms of the Schuster deal, uh, I've always argued, and right from when I saw him in the Harold Matts as a young kid, that this is a back rower in the making, not a 5'8 for a half. Uh, so they've gotten the move right there, but the money's all wrong, obviously. Uh, you are paying him on premium potential right there, not uh, anywhere near his actual real-life production as we've seen in recent seasons. Uh, he is very, very talented, uh, but he has not shown the grit and gumption that you want to see from a marquee back rower, uh, let alone you know a playmaker. So they've, and can know, I just say, when they were talking about it on 360, the, they'd had the, they put up the Daily Telegraph article which listed Murata Nukore at 800000 a year. Now... I must say, I wasn't aware that it was that much that Murata was getting to go to the Warriors. I thought it was a figure that was um, about 150000 less than that. But if if he got 800000 from the Warriors, and I mean, I, he's playing good football for the Warriors, but is there any is there little wonder that Parramatta weren't able to keep Murata no, and, and again, it would mean that the only mistake or blunder that the year was made was Zaya Papa Lee. So, yeah, we, there was no doubt there if the figures are anywhere near true. And even the, the base figure that we sort of thought originally was still out of our reach. Um, right upon oh, yeah, football, yeah. Like the money, that, that, if you're talking about over 600000 for back rowers, you, I mean, you, you're talking about players who have to be in that absolute elite mm-hmm. class. Mm-hmm. So to be paying someone $800,000 on potential, on but, potential, because that's what we're talking about with Schuster. Yeah, everyone everyone seems seen glimpses of what he can do, but they've seen glimpses of what he's doing as a five eight. So now you've got the back rower, you've got a little bit higher with the work rate that he's he's going to be doing in terms of his defence. Um, yeah. We know his work ethic is something that's been questioned multiple times, not just the the in his prep. But in the matches, we've seen arm grabbing in defence. Mm-hmm. Like we've seen the the effort areas not quite be there for for him. And as you said, we've long acknowledged his talent base. I mean, he's like there's there's certain players running around in the NRL who've got skills that other players wish they possess. He's probably in that category. But when it comes to effort, I mean, it's one of the reasons why. Um, Cardi is being praised for the Eels this year in that his effort areas have picked up. Mm-hmm. The skill level was never going to be diminished. It's it's whether it's complemented by those effort areas. And Cardi's been able to um, pull out those effort areas in a big way this year. And he's got everyone on side, every supporter. 
the, I mean, not just the NRL media, but every Eel supporter, all the ones that were doubters uh, are, are on the Cardi party this year. But, um, yeah, so whether whether Schuster's got that or not, I, I, I don't know. And, and, I mean, when you've got... I guess they can't back out of what they've, what they've set up with um, the Turbo Brothers. But that's a lot of money. That's always been a lot of money for Jake. Yes. And we know that that's been a, a thing to keep both players there. And yes, he's a very good player at a club level, and everyone acknowledged he's one of the one of the, um, uh, I guess the the nicer players in the NRL. Very friendly, very um, gentlemanly yes. in his demeanour. Yeah, he's, he's obviously a, a, an incredible character player uh, for the club, and you know, yeah, he, he is involved heavily with one of the organisations that we've got plenty of time for in Waterbility. Uh, and, you know, that speaks to the sort of person he is on and off the field. Jake is a tremendous character player. Uh, but it, it's a little bit like, uh, I suppose, the role that Nathan Highmarsh occupied at the Parramatta Reels, where talismanic to the team, but uh, you can see that his on-field play has transitioned from being, a, a, you know, a genuine impact guy to being more of the workhorse guy. So, yeah, yeah. and with with the uh, manly recruitment, you know, I mean, I do like the... Obviously, we spoke about Luke Brooks and whatnot, so that was a plus. The Schuster one is a real big question mark. Uh, Tal Talcoa, I do like the retention, but then you see the money front about for uh, Brooks and, and Schuster, and you wonder what sort of paycheck he's going to be getting in the next few years. Uh, Jackson Barlow, three years is kind of uh, a bit outrageous for a junior, but maybe they think they can turn him around. I, I mean, there's just a lot of question marks about Manly here. Uh, so they, they're constructing their roster in a real interesting way. I mean, maybe it works out for them. I don't know, but... Uh, it's certainly not conventional thinking, I'll say. Yeah, and and just you mentioned before with Jake Arthur, I think it was signalled by the statements uh, made by the coach when he was first signed on that they see him as a back rower. Prospectively, yes, as a half now, but converting to the back row, which is something we've also discussed in the podcast. So, yeah, it's yeah, not it's not it all is, doom and gloom for Jake. It's just that. Uh, in terms of the short term, he's going to be blocked uh, as a playmaker at Manly. Yeah, and I, and I basically I think what that's going to do is it's going to hasten his development as a forward. Mm-hmm. And as far as I'm concerned, that that actually will be to his benefit uh, because uh, someone like him, he probably could have got a start at West Tigers or a couple of other clubs. I, mean, I know he had offers that came in from other clubs in the past. He ended up taking this manly offer that came up. Um, I I don't think it was sold to him as being a half, in all honesty. Um, and as I said, the uh, Seabold statement when he, was, when he was first recruited, he just went straight into talking about him as a forward. And I thought, well, there you go. He's mapping it out already. And um, I know Jake always had ambitions to be a halfback, and it took the pressure off having his father make that decision, didn't it, and going to another club, <laughs> and, it's, and, it's, the, and another club makes the call. Not just not too dissimilar to Ryan Madison, who you know mm. fe- you know had strong convictions that he was a halfback, left Parramatta because he couldn't get a spot in the halves, went to the root, and he was you know uh, apparently you know sort of coached or indicated that he should transition to the back row, went to the Roosters, got a similar message, and made the transition and became a rep-level back roll because of it. So, you know, I'm not saying yeah, that Jake's yeah. going to be a state-of-origin caliber back roller, but he has the chance now, without the pressure of being under his father, to make that transition. 
Okay, Clint, I'm going to get you. I asked Forty to make a call about the Titans before. I'm going to ask you to make a call on the Manly Seagulls next year. Do they make finals football? Well, um, with the benefit of the information that we have now and and no other um, movements or or, or changes um, between now and then, uh, it's hard to see that they do. You know, you guys touched on before about how dependent they are on um, a, the fitness of a series of players who just don't seem to be able to stay on the on the field for 20 or more games each year it makes it really challenging when they're the top earners and the biggest movers and shakers in your in in your side you know uh, when when i saw the initial announcement around the four players that they'd signed in um, um in brooks barlow um tommy Talau, and then the extension of cooler i thought well that's a tidy bit of bit of business and then all of the goodwill that they had generated from that, they ruined within less than 24 hours by announcing Josh Suster being extended for three more years, supposedly on that money, which to me, he's, he's exactly the type of archetype of player that they don't need in their side. He is surplus to requirements in the makeup of that squad and actually hinders it. You know, we touched on the amount of um, money that's being invested on potential, you know, like it, could you imagine that 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 money being used to get a couple of other hardworking back rollers who they you know they can absolutely depend on defensively to to have you know that 93 94 95 percent tackle efficiency and and making um 10 to 15, um 14 hit ups per game um making somewhere between 110 to 140 meters that's exactly what they need in that side just to help create that little bit of balance across their roster you know um and 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 what necessitated them offering him 850k. I can't imagine that there was someone yeah, else they, out there offering him 800. Were they competing against themselves that. for his signature? Like seriously, I mean, yeah, I know I know like, that Scott Fulton obviously is a fan of his, but the Tigers evidently were at, uh, loggerheads about whether to recruit him or not because Benji wasn't uh, pro for it. So, I'd, yeah, and, and and maybe they've indirectly pulled a fast one on Manly by doing that. You know, it, it, it's you know, it's it's a happy accident. Um, but he's now stuck on their roster at that contract value, or supposedly at that contract value, I should say. You know, but like, like, like to me, he's not even worth half that at this point. You know, it it, it should be a heavily if if they got this plan for him to be a back row and to be someone that really adds value. And if it's come out and 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 said, I'd like to be captain of Manly and play state of origin. Uh, you're not even a first grade back row at the moment, Josh. I'm so, I'm sorry to say that. You know, and. And and that's not because of your talent. Your talent, talent-wise, and at the peak of your game, you are a great player. But in terms of that consistency, those effort areas that you guys are talking about, you need a bit more. And I, you know, I've got I've I've got a really good friend of mine. Shout out to Jimbo. Um, I know he'll be listening. Um, he's only he's only four. Is that he's a manly fan? And, um, <laughs> Pretty big four, you know, but he, we, we look overlook it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And you know, he 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 was very frustrated at that news. Um, you know, because um, he 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 wants to see more strength and more manly identity in the forward pack. You know, and 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 not have it be um, the burden fall upon DCE, who we know at this point will play at least three Origins and be available unavailable across that period. You got Tom and Jake, who, if fit and firing, a, a, a part of Freddie's makeup, and you know, and 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 both of them in recent years, obviously more so. Tommy have had had injury concerns. You know, the second that one or um, all of those three players are out, the, the manly identity is gone, and, and 
you know, you, you, you could argue that there's, there's sprinkles of it in some other players and who, but you know, they're, they're, they're very much, um, they're very much responsive um, to those, the presence of those players and, and the absence of them, they feel it as much as anyone else. And I'm thinking guys like Ruben Garrick, who, you know, a future leaders at that club, but it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, I don't see it happening sixties. I don't see it at this point happening. I think the, the, the reported money and, and the role that they want Joshua to play is just not the right decision for the makeup of that squad. And, um, you know, I'm happy to be proven wrong because I love seeing, uh, you know, touched on before when we were talking about the NRLW and how I think Dean Witter's team will be made up. I love seeing rugby league players play rugby league. And, and Josh is an example of a rugby league player as well. But he's missing ele- key elements of his game at this particular point in time of his career that he needs to address to really realise his potential and even be spoken about being worth that value. You know, I, 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 see, that, I see that contract being something he's offered and rightly earns after two seasons of consistent performance at a level that you know most um, rugby league pundits believe he's capable of, but is yet to deliver on. So, you know, um, yeah, I, I, at this point, um, failing him being able to live up to that potential, I don't see Manly being able to be a um, a big mover and shaker in in, in the NRL competition. Okay, well, speaking about supremely talented players, we now turn our attention to Reese Walsh, the incident around the referee and the uh, abuse which was alleged was directed to uh, referee Butler and uh, his subsequent suspension for three matches. It was quite colourful language. It was interesting that the NRL as part of their brief of evidence presented the numerous times that Reese Walsh went up to all approach the referee. I don't know if approached is the right word charged at <laughs> the referee to dispute calls that he was making the advice that referee Butler gave to uh, the captain Adam Reynolds at halftime about how he was being approached by Reese Walsh. And then of course, the sort of statement and language that did not make sense in the context of being said to his captain. So, John, what's your take? So the NRL got it right. Was Walsh lucky to escape with just three weeks? Um, Or have the NRL got it wrong and he was talking to his captain and it's evidently okay in Broncos land to scream abuse at your captain? No, the, the, look, the judiciary's got it largely right here. Um, you know, you could have made a case for maybe extending it to four games if you wanted to make a bit more of a statement, but three games is in a pretty healthy range, so I'm not too upset by that. I mean, the whole scenario was kind of comical in the end. I mean, the NRL clearly sort of come prepared for this because <laughs> the cross-examination of the players that were caught in for witnesses, uh, both testimonial and character for Walsh, which I think was Dave Hafita, Tino Faso, Marla Awi, and Patrick Carrigan, was almost like Hollywood comedy sort of stuff where they are uh, on cross sort of admitted that they'd been had breakfast this morning, had a coffee this sort of try to get their co- their stories all straightened up and, and sort of together. Uh, you had Big Tino uh, on the I mean it's not under oath right you're not you're not in the judicial system per se but uh, in his sworn statement I think says something along the lines of um, I was there I had the the perfect angle of it and I could I, I could see that while she uh, was talking to the ref I mean to to Patty. <laughs> so you know, <laughs> like, uh, yeah. So 
look, the whole the the Ariner obviously were very well prepared. Like I said, they'd come in with uh, the evidence of Walsh approaching, well, like you said, sixties approaching very generously. Uh, Butler on several occasions in the first half. The warning at half time from Butler to the captain Reynolds. And look, the only criticism I'm going to have about this whole thing was following that warning, Butler should have sent Reese Walsh off. I don't, I don't know why he gave him the latitude in the second half to be March 10 and then have no follow up punishment for that, you know, verbal diarrhea that came towards him, uh, which was completely out of line in a vacuum, let alone as a multi sort of build up incident in this game. So Butler got that one wrong. And this is a matter of the referees needing to enforce these standards for themselves. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people do point towards rugby union, the respect that is levied towards the main official from players and captains in that code. And I do think that rugby union gets it better or more correct than rugby league in that regard. Uh, I also think that rugby league refs can be a little bit more abrasive than un- their union counterparts do when it comes to uh, their conversations with captains. They also open up a lot of his stuff by... Uh, referring to players by their names and not numbers. And that's something that you often see in rugby union at the mm. high levels is that number 10 or number 15 or number 2, they're not referring to the players in a conversational, in a, in a almost companionship way. So yeah, they're, they're, they're little things there, but I do think that the right result was achieved. I also think that the fact that State of Origin was a dead rubber helped the NRL be a little bit more uh, judicious in their approach. Uh, but yes, Walsh deserves the... Well, it's only going to be two games for the Broncos, because they'll count the origin as one of his suspension games, I believe. But he deserves the uh, three-game holiday. And I hope that, it, you know, much as we... Obviously, they're not the same matters. But like with Dylan Brown before, these are, you know, learning moments for these young men. Um, obviously, yeah. obviously, Dylan's, like, you know, uh, mistake was a orders of magnitude above that of Walsh's. But, you know, they can both become better people for it uh, on and off the field. Yeah, and... Um uh, yeah, I, I, look, it was comical that um, for someone like Fafita to be called upon as a as a witness for, as from the opposition team, when in fact he's also his teammate in the Queensland team. So mm. it was he was hardly going to be speaking as uh, as someone who was opposed to him. And oh, look, even someone from the opposition is prepared to speak on his behalf. You know, it's like. Oh come on, give us a break here. Um, the and the other thing too that you just mentioned as well about uh, going on to be a better player. I think I was watching three sixty tonight, and Billy Moore came up with a a statement when um, he, he said that uh, Billy Slater said that there was no ceiling to what Reese Walsh could be as a footballer, and and Billy Moore said no there is a ceiling and it's the ceiling that he put on himself mm-hmm. and how he, yeah. how he conducts himself that would, that would be the ceiling to what he can achieve. And I thought that was, that was very well stated in that regard. And the sooner that we have people that are prepared to not be apologists for those that do the wrong thing and say, look, you know, yeah, this this person, this player's stuffed up. They need to accept responsibility and and move forward from there. And that's that's exactly how it needs to be from him right now. Do you have anything you want to add at all to this, Clint? Before we um, wrap up, with yeah, a quick chat about roosters. Oh, look, gents, you know, um, we got to see the, the walking definition of a Freudian slip with David Fafita at the judiciary yesterday. Um, very, very, very comical. 
Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure many of the rugby league um, community are very familiar with um, Simpsons NRL memes, and they've been in in absolutely fine form the last 24 hours with some of um, some of their little tidbits and memes that they've been sharing. But you know, it, it's it's never okay to abuse the referee. Um, you know, on on top of that as well, um, the, the 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 directness of it um, was completely inappropriate. And we've discussed it here before um, around um, all different levels of the games that, you know, there, there has to be a level of um, respect um, um, afforded and directed towards the referee. But I think as John really, um, really nicely touched on as well, is that I think that respect also has to come back from the, um, from the referees themselves. And um, I don't think, uh, using the example of referring to players by their first name, I don't think that's the way in which they're going to garner respect. It's it's too buddy buddy, too mate mateship, and that's opened up the opportunity for these type of situations to happen. And certainly not excusing or being an apologist for Reese Walsh's behaviour. I, I didn't like it at all. Um, I'm glad he's been appropriately punished. And uh, as you both touched on, hope he hope he um, takes the opportunity to learn from it and, and get better in the future. But you know, um, it's um, it's it's. I, I, I think from the NRL's perspective, part of the way in which they manage this moving forward is perhaps adopting that rugby union style of addressing players by the numbers, you know, and um, you know, um, really enforcing the only player that can come and speak to the referee is, is, is the nominated yeah, um, in, instant 10 metres. Like, instant 10 metres. If a non-captain approaches a referee, first yep. the first event's 10 metres, then you can even consider sin binning. Well, or yep. maybe maybe you can make an argument for like there needs to be a minus in bin then like a five yeah, minutes in bin or something. Like five yeah. bin. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's given the uh, the where the game was at. There, uh, it was a high profile player that was being played at the at the uh, at SunCorp. I think there was a bit of pressure to not dismiss him from the field at that point in the game. I. I that can be the only route because he'd given him every cause. Yeah, he didn't, he, didn't want to dis, he didn't want to decide the result and have that be, you know, sorry, inverted commas, he didn't want to decide the result and have that um, be something that, that that's a talking point um, throughout the rest of the next week, you know, not too dissimilar to um, the hip drop that happened when we played the Broncos that ended up in the injury to Regan Campbell-Gillard. And, you know, we, we, we were hot on the return at that point and, you know, it was it was a decision that could have potentially swung the result. You know, we've seen in regular um, round games, particularly since what happened with the penalty situation last year up at North Queensland between the Cowboys and the Tigers, that the um, the officials are, um, are very hesitant to do anything when there's a um, there's a sense that it might swing the result. They want to allow the opportunity for it to unfold without that level of scrutiny. And speaking of hip drop tackles, I, I'm confused again as to what is a hip drop tackle after the weekend. In that yeah. in that yeah. same game, I mean, I love him as a player, and it, it wasn't like it was in, like malicious. But Paddy Carrigan, by definition, mm. executed a hip drop tackle, and we're yeah. like, okay, it's not a hip drop anymore. I don't understand. I think the fact that his his body sort of bounced onto the the leg rather than landing on the leg. It was almost like, you know, why did the leg end up underneath him? Well, it slid underneath him. Well, or, well, I also think he bounced a bit onto the, onto the leg, but the action to me looked perfect hip drop execution. And he was lucky that 
the leg didn't immediately go under his body, like to to the point of landing on it, but he still eventually ended up on it and he got out of it because I, I think they were saying, well, no, he actually landed on the ground. He didn't land on the player. Yeah, but the foot ended up under him. Like yeah. the lower leg ended up under him. But yeah, I, I'm I'm stunned as well. Um, just now, finally moving on, fellas. Last thing I wanted to touch on, and I just want to have like a, a very brief editorial on this. And if you want to come in with any comments, and then, then please do. But tonight on three sixty, they were talking about the roosters, and uh, there'd been a, a an article by uh, Brent Reed about um, the the players being off the coach, the players being off each other. We've probably all seen some of the texts that are doing the rounds with Roosters rumours at the moment and issues within the club and certain players and that sort of thing. And this is this is the sort of thing that gets around about clubs. It doesn't it, more often than not, it's completely fabricated. Someone's made something up, and next thing, this text message goes around, and uh, and it gets inevitably into the hands of journo's because journo's like to troll social media accounts and pick up uh, rumors and um, and reasons for maybe a, a, a club's form being down. But whilst I think the Roosters aren't the same team as what they used to be, losing a few games mid-season isn't, isn't anything unusual in the NRL. Like the mid-season slump, is, there's a term for it for a reason. <laughs> it's like that term mid-season slump, it's been there. We've, we've experienced it as Eels supporters. We've experienced mid-season slumps. Plenty of clubs have experienced mid-season slumps. What matters is where the club is by the end of the year. And whilst, as I said, I I think the Roosters have um, some issues around what their roster looks like and what the players are what players are producing. What um, I think talks of internal squabbles and and things like that is the stuff of fabrication. And if you're a Roosters supporter out there, just as if you're a supporter of the Eels or or whatever club you support don't pay too much attention to rumours. Don't give them too much credence because rumours are generally made to fit a scenario and they get listeners to the to them as a rumour because they seem to offer a reason for something happening. But they're, they're made up to fit the situation and that's why it looks like it makes sense. So I'd say, you know... Just let let the team show whatever their metal is, but don't go facilitating rumours any further. And uh, it was a bit disappointing to see the journos are getting into that tonight. I even thought it was funny that um, Hooper raised it by saying, oh, there's rumours going around, and I want to stipulate that I don't agree with this, I strongly disagree with it, but here's the rumours. It's a, it's like it's like the rugby equivalent. I'm not a racist or I'm not a sexist, but you know, like I, I don't want to sort like rumor monger, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it's a new cycle, isn't it? And look, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that there is something wrong with the Roosters, uh, but you know, they've got double digit years of like incredibly strong performance on and off the field. Uh, certainly, they deserve some benefit of the doubt when it comes to common sense. 
with this sort of thing. So if there is something you know wrong there in the, in the state of the tricolours, then I'm sure it'll come to light. But yeah, right now, the, like you're saying, 60s, a dip of form uh, could be very much being sort of uh, leapt upon as an opportunity to uh, you know milk some headlines. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's, I mean, like literally I could say, um, I could make the accusation about myself that I'm raising it about the Roosters' rumours, so I'm, I'm being no different to what's happened on 360 tonight. But I just want to make the case that this this sort of stuff, you hear it so often. Any Anyone that's got um, some sort of involvement with rugby league social media, you'll get rumours sent to you all the time. And, mm. you know, I, I, get, I get hammered with rumours, left, right and centre. And most of the time I laugh it off. I mean, because a lot of it is eel stuff. And it'll be stuff that I know is completely fabricated and untrue because they'll be telling me things that are going on and it'll be the opposite of what I'm actually watching, you know. I'll, I'll be told someone's someone's going to be playing in this position, someone's going to be playing in this position, or these people aren't talking to each other or what have you, and it's just ridiculous, right? But people will try and send you this sort of stuff. And, you know, for the most part, the people that send it on, they're not the ones that start the rumour. They're just, they're just hearing it or it gets sent to them, and it's what happens these days. People text message rumours to each other, and these things get a life of their own. And, you know, like it might start off with someone sending it to someone, oh, I've heard that. And then it's 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 like the old rumour game, that you, like the old message oh, passing game. Yeah, the, yeah, the player's kids, where it only needs to go to, you know, by the time it gets to the third or fourth person, the message is completely different. Now, in this instance, you know, at some point someone's someone then puts it into a, a, a text message of a particular... Um, and and off it goes, and then that gets passed around everyone. And it might have initially come with, "Oh, this this is something that I've heard. I don't know how true it is." Next thing, it just gets passed around as being, "This is what's going on." So, anyway, let's let's give um, as little credence as we can to rumours. Look, I know we all love to hear rumours from time to time, but you know, some of them they just get, they're, yeah, they're just ridiculous. Anyway, fellas, I think we've absolutely covered about as much as we possibly can in a podcast where we've we've managed to maybe come in just under two hours. <laughs> just look, I'm just looking in at bye week, no less. <laughs> it's only one thirty. Um, it's only one thirty four and counting. So uh, you, got, you got a little bit of leeway there to squeeze still. <laughs> well, look, fellas, it, I, I think we have covered quite a bit tonight. Uh, thank you for your contributions tonight, as always. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in. It's it's always great to see the numbers of people that are, are watching us across all the platforms. Now, if you're listening to this on YouTube and you haven't currently subscribed, please make sure that you subscribe to the channel. Or, or Every time we get listens, full listens to the podcast, every time we get subscriptions, it's going to help with what we're trying to build on YouTube. And there's more content that we want to add besides the uh, audio of our podcast. So if you can subscribe, that would be absolutely brilliant. But thank you to everyone that listens across the various platforms. Thank you once again to 
Big Swing Golf at North Mead and Star Partners Real Estate, Auburn, Norellan and Parramatta, without whom all of this wouldn't be able to happen. And one final thing, fellas, go you wheels. <laughs>